and Charlie came charging out the door, and they they fought for about ten minutes, <laughs> and then dusted their hands off, shook hands, and Bill left. And uh, apparently, every time he'd drive by Charlie's house, he'd pull in, bang on the door, Charlie, get out here. And they'd fight, and then shake hands and go off. Well, yeah, many years ago, Mrs. Kearney and I went to visit a friend who was a student at Vanderbilt University, and she got us some tickets to the Grand Ole Opry, and uh, uh, this was when it was still at the Ryman. It was about two years before they left, and I knew a little bit about country music because I used to listen to WSM, uh, but uh, Mrs. Kearney uh, did not know as much, although she always said her father really liked to listen to the Grand Ole Opry. Anyway, we're, we're there, and uh, this was not a big night. I, this may have even been a Friday night or an early Saturday night show, but... Uh, Archie Campbell came down in, in the in the uh, in the crowd into the Ryman, and it was a warm night, so we had them, them those uh, uh, church uh, uh, funeral home fans working that night. And uh, but uh, uh, Archie Campbell came down, and, and approximately eleven thousand people took pictures of him, and ladies wanted to kiss him and things like that. And then we watched the show, and and. Mrs. Kearney said, is anybody really famous on this show? And I said, well, it's not like some of them, but there is one guy, and I pointed out Bill Bill Monroe to her, and uh, she, yeah. I don't think she even had heard of him. But uh, the other people that were on that show that, that night were the Tom Paul and the Glazer brothers who were drunk. And uh, Oh, my gosh. And, yeah, it's hard to believe it. <laughs> and and, uh, and uh, Billy Grammer was there. I always liked him. Uh, and uh, Dale Wood. Now, if you know who Dale Wood is, you went, you can you can stay on the program now. Uh oh. Do you know who Dale Wood was? Uh oh. Uh oh. Give me context. Give me context. Well, Dale is a, is a lady, and she plays a, a rinky tink piano. Yes. Now that you, as, as soon as you said rinky tink piano, <laughs> it was open to the to the crowd. And she would come up out on the stage. She was a short, chunky, elderly woman. And she uh, adjusted her girdle right there in front of everybody. And Mrs. Kearney just about lost it right there. And then she played the song that she was famous for, Down Yonder. And uh, uh, that was a, this was, it was a big hit in the early 50s, I think. Uh, oh, but, my uh, gosh. Uh, well, you know, coming out. And sometimes, sometimes I can tell you from playing music uh, all over, sometimes you have to just, Adjust that girdle. Sometimes it just happens. <laughs> keep going. Which reminds me, I, I've, I've gotten to the point in life, Joe, that I, if I think of something I need to do, I better do it or I'll forget it. Yes, and, sir. Uh, I thought, well, I haven't really heard very much. They've just about canceled everything, but the, the bluegrass thing that they've been having in Raleigh in the late, late September, is what, it, what is it going to amount to this year, if anything? The, uh, the IBMA, the International Bluegrass Music Association, um, they they uh, have been having their annual convention in Raleigh for about the last eight or nine years, um, and they um, they have um, they have not they've made it a virtual event, and so they're they're working the IBMA is working on having showcases that are are um, they're virtual and online. They've got um, they'll, they'll have the business conference part of the. Um, uh, of the of the conference, all all virtual, and people will be able to talk about the business of bluegrass and talk about ways to be a better business person. Also, uh, 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 
sessions uh, on uh, on uh, records. Uh, a couple of really good sessions coming up. I I know on how musicians are handling and getting through um, the pandemic. It, you know, it's it's been um, it's been something. I I have um, I pulled off the road on March sixteenth, and I have not I have not been on the road since. Um, and so, you know. I have shifted over, Tom, into playing virtual shows and doing things online, and uh, and you know everybody's everybody's trying to upgrade their equipment <laughs> so we can all um, be seen and heard. And who would have who would have ever predicted how vital Zoom would be uh, to to uh, business and commerce and music and the arts? It's amazing. Just keeping everything well. You—I don't guess you've given me a scoop, but now I know, and our listeners know where the the bluegrass festival, uh, uh, if I can call it that, is going to to be this year. And we know that there are new barriers out there being zoomed upon at places. And you 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 play and you play dates and you 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 uh, you teach some, uh, and that's. Uh- that's right, uh, and uh, you know the the, the thing that the thing that it's uh, really really um, struck me uh, today that just like people you know have always relied uh, even in the 30s and 40s people didn't have much money they stayed they stayed home they listened to the radio nowadays folks are still listening to the radio but they're also Doing online things and and on their computers, and we're all working really hard to stay in touch. I, it's it's a strange feeling to play a concert for people when when you don't get any feedback. Um, I have played a couple of Zoom concerts though, and they've they've asked the audience when when they're applauding, you know, because you see the Zoom, you see. You see, you can see up to forty-nine folks in one screen on your on your computer, and folks will sort of wiggle their their hands back and forth, and it looks like leaves uh, shaking, and that's the way folks are applauding on on Zoom. You know, you just you just learn we're adaptable creatures, we humans, and you you learn that if you say something funny or you say a joke. In about three seconds, you're going to see people on the screen react. They just got, it's just got to go up in the air and come down into their computer. You know, I'm I'm stuck in being a historian, and so we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going back to the days when the people were first doing radio, and uh, uh, for instance, maybe playing a little music, usually live music. Uh, there wasn't as many uh, records being played in the beginning. In fact, hardly any. At places like WFCM and WPTF and uh, yeah. KWKH, let's sort of talk about those places a little bit. Because when you lived in, I, I was driving down around Keenansville one day on the way to, I actually was on the way to Topsville, and, and this, you kind of out in the open there for a while. And I thought this would have been a nice place, would would have been a better place when radio arrived, when WPTF could be heard. And we've got a. Uh, a recording somewhere here that Charles Corral made because he used to visit his his grandfather who lived in Onslow County and uh, listen to WPTF and, and so radio was a way of bringing everybody together and I remember uh, and you'll know more about this than me that uh, 
Well, we have to always remember about the Grand Ole Opry, which is the oldest, longest-running radio program in the world, is that it is a radio program to this day. Oh, they absolutely. let people in to watch it. They don't and it's, it's fun to see it behind the scenes, but yes, it is, it is a radio program. It was sort of like, like when I was on, um, uh, on my Prairie Home Companion appearances. It's, it's a radio show. You know, they had an audience, but, but they're very definitely handing stuff and walking around and, and getting yeah. you the next script um, because they're, they're building something that people can only see with their mind. And I'm going to ask you to, to share any reminiscences that you have. This is a tease across this break now of a radio station that we, we've not talked about very much, but it was so much listened to in this part of the world that it actually got into the ratings books in this part of the world, and it's in Cincinnati, Ohio. And, of course, talking about WCKY, which uh, Barbara Mandrell would appreciate this. It was country when country wasn't cool. Uh, That's right. We can come back in a moment. Joe Newberry, and we'll talk about country music and bluegrass music tonight, but he used to work with the North Carolina Symphony. I think he's just a musical fella, and uh, we're glad to have him on with us. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. Uh, We will carry on, and we'll even get to KWTO uh, eventually. And and there's another tease, because somebody's saying, what is KWTO? Well, you'll have to stay tuned to find out. We'll be back. But that's not true. He's he's a, he's a, he's a, uh, our main man, uh, Mr. Joe Newberry. Uh, and Joe, one of the reasons I think I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the, some of the stations that were around in the early days of what would become country music and, and would would have one of the uh, branches go off of that tree would be bluegrass is that in about four weeks, WPTF will be 96 years old. And, uh, wow! That puts us in in one of the, in the older groups, and I I just can think, you know, living in North Carolina in the eastern half of the state, that for a long time it was the only radio station. You know, people could pick up, you know, stations from the north, from Pittsburgh and Philadelphia and so on, but the only really local station until really the early '30s, other it was just WPTF, WBT, and Charlotte was, of course, had been on the air since 1922, and. Both of those stations might have been what WSM became, except they were more on the on the uh, outside of the, the South rather than right smack dab in the middle of it. Right. Well, you know, uh, uh, WSM, we shield millions, uh, and WLS, world's largest store. Um, you know, the, all of these places, you know, because there was such a... Um, such an interest in country music, all of these stations had um, had barn dances. You know, the WLS barn dance was amazing. Cincinnati, because so many people were coming up from Kentucky into Ohio, um, Kentucky and Tennessee and North Carolina, they were going up to Ohio for, for work. Um, so uh, the, uh, other stations up in Chicago had a lot of influx of Southerners, as did Detroit and uh, all all across Michigan. Well, you know, long before he rode a, a horse and had the Flying A Ranch, an old boy from Oklahoma uh, named Gene Autry played on the, 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 the WLS bar dance. In fact, that's where he got started. He became a movie star secondhand. And uh, and they they don't like to admit it, but George Goble was the star of the WLS bar dance, too. 
Lonesome, lonesome. Well, first George. a little George Goble, and then he became lonesome George Goble. Right, right. Uh, you know, during the during the pandemic times, uh, you know, we all, I probably we all probably spend more time looking at screens than than we we used to or we should. But uh, I I do remember George Goble talking about being a a, a pilot instructor in a, uh, in World War Two, and they. They put him in um, Tulsa, Oklahoma, um, and uh, uh, and he said, "I didn't mind that they that I didn't go overseas, and I consider my service a success. Not a single Japanese plane got past Tulsa." <laughs> well, <And> I, <laughs> I, I love Georgia. There, a lot of the listeners. We we do an educational trip tonight because a lot of our listeners have no idea who Lonesome George is. Oh but my gosh, he was so funny, and he also was the one that had the the the, uh, the line that had one of the longest laughs on the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson that I think ever, which was he said, "Did you ever feel like the world was a tuxedo and you were a pair of brown shoes?" <laughs> Oh well, I know that uh, he Johnny Carson asked him one night who made the big decisions in his house, and he said, "I do, of course. I work a lot on world hunger and nuclear warfare, and my wife makes decisions like what car we get and what what <laughs> what, what what furniture we buy and everything." But uh, he was he was worth worth watching uh, for sure on the. But I, I've also been thinking today, I was looking at these a map because I like to keep up with the weather. And, you know, we've got all these storms. They've all decided to roost in, in West Louisiana at the same time. And I saw up there Shreveport, and I thought about KWKH, which is where the Louisiana Hayride came in. That's where Elvis Presley, you know, was first on the, on the, the radio, and uh, uh, Hank Williams, and people like That's that, right. and... Buddy Holly listed it as one of the, his influences because he could be picked up in Lubbock, Texas, because it was beamed west, and he 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 got a sense of his music and country and rockabilly and stuff from listening to KWKH. Well, Elvis had a Elvis had a, a better run at the Hayride than he did on the Opry. They did not they did not fall under his sway on the Opry as much. It wasn't until he he got on the Steve Allen show, uh, and then and then on Ed Sullivan. Um, and Ed Sullivan actually had felt compelled to say, "This is a good boy. This is a this is a, yeah. a fine young man." And and that's really when his career started. You know, he started. Well, now you and I were talking about Hank Snow this afternoon. And did, did you know that Hank introduced Elvis when he was the first time he was on the Grand Ole Opry, and it was because Colonel Tom Parker was Hank's manager too. Oh, Colonel Tom Parker, the the uh, the Dutch, the Dutch honorary colonel, Dutch honorary colonel, and good old boy, and yes. uh, and whatever. But uh, but yeah, Hank, uh, I think he, he appeared on the Grand Ole Opry a couple of times. A little bit more about the Opry and some of the radio shows, and uh, uh, on a North Carolina uh, bluegrass figure right after this. Well, there was Dell. That was Dell Wood. You know, they always took the front of the the uh, 
piano off so you could watch the the uh, hammers hit the the uh, the uh, strings and, and so on. When you were growing up out there, way out there in Missouri or Missouri, I never can remember which is right. Did you listen to any particular radio station? I I mentioned earlier KWT. Keep watching the Ozarks. That's what I've got to remember. Keep watching the Ozarks. Yes, actually, my dad used to work at KWTO. Uh, he worked there um, right around the the time that uh, the uh, the Weaver brothers and Elviry were popular, and they also, uh, after the war, got to meet Chet Atkins and the Carter um, the the Carter uh, girls. Uh, Mother Maybelle Carter and her girls uh, were there for a time. Uh, and then that was the era of Red Foley as well in the fifties. He he worked out of KWTO. Yeah. Um, and, and then then I I moved um, um, I moved to the boot heel of Missouri, and so we would listen. Um, uh, I actually I would like, listen to um, uh, Bleecker Bleecker Street um, from uh, KWAY. and then also in Springfield, Missouri, there was the KTTS Country Club. Um, and a country club, uh, uh, it was a, a all um, all K. So the KTTS Country Club, and Miss Kitty was the uh, was the the one of the main disc jockeys on the country club. And my friend Alan Mundy, who's a great bluegrass banjo player, he said um, he said, yeah, my wife used to do radio uh, in uh, in Springfield. And I, I said, what radio station? She, he said, KTTS. I said, she wasn't Kitty, was she? And, and he said, yeah. And I, I said, you're married. You know, I, I just looked. What do you mean you're married to Miss Kitty? So, uh, <laughs> uh, and then when I moved up to, to uh, go to um, uh, college, um, uh, last two years of high school and college, in Columbia, Missouri, and we say Missouri because we're from south of the river, if you're north of the river, it's Missouri. Yeah, okay. uh, and if you are there in the summer, both sides of the river can agree that it's misery. And that's my oldest joke for the night. Um, <laughs> but I would I would listen to WLS um, from Chicago, uh, eighty nine, right? Uh, and I you know I can still hear that jingle, eighty nine WLS. Chicago. Well, it was one and, of the big uh, rockers in the '60s and '70s, you know. That's right, John. That their main disc jockey for the on on the overnight was named John Landecker, and his middle name he changed his middle name to Records, and so he called himself John Records Landecker. And he would, when he was talking, he'd come back and he'd have that that sort of AM. 60s and early 70s AM voice, and he'd say, "That's right, you're welcome back to WLS." I'm John Records Landecker. Records truly is my middle name. Well, all of, those, all of those guys seem because Art Roberts was there, and he always said he, every program was a work of art, and somebody would laugh a little bit. But Dick Biondi was my favorite, and he told one too many Catholic jokes, and they, they sent him to South Carolina or somewhere. To, to, well, to, one of the things that uh, you and I have in common is we, we have always loved radio. I mean, I... I uh, because my dad, uh, my dad used to uh, be in radio early in his life, and and uh, um, I I did a radio show in high school that that I you know got my third class license very early. Uh, still remember my I still remember my power um, 
my power formula for uh, checking the uh, transmitter. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, power equals I squared R. Ah, oh, you can't beat that. Can't beat that. <laughs> that was when you had to. When I was in a generation that still had to take the. You know, you don't have, you don't have to do anything now. Yeah. But you used to have to take the. I think I have. I got two. Uh, two good thing twice. You know, over over the years, and somewhere I've still got the one that I used to hang on the wall and. And at WFDD and Wake Forest when I worked there. Now, did you ever hear Lula Bell and Scotty? Oh yeah, oh yeah. And and then uh, you know, um, oh they were they were famous. Yes, they, they were. They were famous. And and uh, very um, they they were uh, they were mountaineers and and but very very accessible to to non mountain ears. They 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 had a real. It was sort of like when when Doc Watson was speaking. Uh, at home, he he was very well spoken, but he 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 would slip in a little bit more of his his mountain drawl. Uh, same with Little Bell and Scotty. They 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 really um, were uh, they were uh, real listenable all over the country. People people loved them, and they sold a lot of records. And uh, uh, I think she came back to North Carolina was elected to the state legislature. To, to the state legislature. That's right. Right. One of the things that I've discovered, and I, I can't play it tonight, but the, the the signature song of WPTF Radio is a song called Our Best to You that Jimmy Capps, the late-night DJ, used to play in the 50s. And uh, Little Bell and Scotty did a version of that. It's not too bad, so we, we'll, have to, mm-hmm. we'll have to play it sometime. But uh, another thing that I wanted to ask you about tonight, and I, I, I used to go to a church where there was a minister, and he said he worked by inspiration, not by perspiration, which meant that he, he sort of waited for for, the, for it to come to him, if you know what I mean. Well, yeah. I, maybe that that's what happened to me, but I mentioned this guy to you today, and he's a, he's a person who's significant to what we're talking about, but nobody seems to know who, much about him. Maybe I'm wrong, maybe you know people who do, but uh, Bascom. I, I told you I always get his name. Bascom Lamar Lunsford. Bascom Lamar Lunsford. He's got three first names, and so I get confused about his name. But he's one of the people that began to make Appalachian folk music popular. And I have actually heard, I heard when he died, that Pete Seeger learned to play the banjo at one of his music camps. Uh, you know, Pete Seeger, uh, who was his, Pete Seeger, uh, his father, Charles Seeger, and his mother, Ruth Crawford Singer, they were musicologists and ethnographers, and so Pete Pete uh, grew up with classical music, and he uh, he made a grand tour around the South in 1938, and he discovered a bunch of regional banjo styles, including Bascom Lamar Lunsford. Um, Lunsford was was by uh, he he grew up in the tradition and played traditional music his whole life, but he was a lawyer. Um, uh, an attorney in his uh, local, in his, uh, he lived outside of uh, uh, Asheville in Buncombe County, and uh, so, but but Lunsford was one of the people that that Pete took a look at when he was when he was um, uh, trying to learn the banjo. And the other thing is that the the, the Pete Seeger, the Seeger strum, it has very, real close similarities to uh, an uppicking style from Kentucky. So. So uh, you know, and Seeger, Pete Seeger, and his younger brother Mike, two of my favorite musicians in the whole world. 
did you follow or do you know much about the Lomax people? Um, they were, uh, yes, uh, uh, Alan Lomax and his, and his father um, did uh, a lot of the, they were, when you mentioned uh, being country when country wasn't cool, they weren't necessarily country, but they loved country music. And they went and they recorded everything from field hollers to uh, sacred numbers to blues singers to hillbilly, and I, that's not a pejorative, that's just the, that was the category of records, hillbilly records country records uh and and the uh they have just opened up in the last couple of years the alan lomax archive and and all of those all of the things that he collected have been digitized and are available online uh, and it's it's a it's a great place if you you know uh those those kind of archives are sort of like the audio rabbit hole that youtube can be mm-hmm. right William Ferris, who I think used to teach at Chapel Hill, he may be retired Hill, now. Yeah, he, you would know him, but he's—I've uh, had him on a couple of times, and he's—he collected some of that music and helped help, help popularize it uh, too. So, but uh, there, there's a there's a hole there's a hole. That's what I, I didn't mean it that way when I started out, but there's this there's this kind of vacuum that sucks different musical. Uh, Vibes into sort of the mid south there, and uh, when I said earlier that that Raleigh and, and Charlotte and so on were too far on the edge, but when you get to to, to Nashville, you're close enough to East Tennessee and the the fruit cart, fruit yard jumpers and people like that. Uh, yep. Well, you know when when um, when George D. Hay went down to the the Grand Ole Opry, you know it it, it was it was. Radio was a fairly stodgy affair, and and the reason that you had live music is because they didn't spin records. They they would have a an orchestra. They had those huge studios where an orchestra would be, and they would play. And so the the way the Grand Ole Opry got its name, and I know you you know this story. It's it's that uh, the the announcer said, um, for the last hour you have been listening to music mostly taken from light opera, and now we shall hear the Grand Old Opry. <laughs> and and uh, and then George D. Hay came in, um, and uh, he would uh, he would introduce um, the acts, and he had a great deal of influence in making making country players dress in a hayseed fashion. And you know, all of those musicians when they first started out, they were coming to the studio dressed in their Sunday clothes because they that's what you do is you know you dress you dress up. And Bill Monroe made it a point to never dress anything other than bandbox fresh clothes, dangerous high voltage Stetson hats. They for a while Monroe affected uh, uh, yodpers and like a, a a country gentleman outfit. But well, but Bill always dressed incredibly well. Well, so many and, and expected his expected his people to do the same. I read a, read a thing one time. I think it was written by oh, you know his name. It's not Bill, not Bill Green, but the guy who's written the, the the book on the country music and the the series of Southern cultural things. But anyway, he said that the when they started uh, having somebody on Uncle Uncle Sam and his and his fiddle, uh, 
people in mid-Tennessee would hear that, and they'd come down to the radio station, and the announcer would look up, and they would be peeking in the windows because they wanted to be on the air, too, so they could tell everybody where they were going to be next week if you get my drift. Yeah. A little free ad. Uh, uh, I can remember hearing Kitty Wells on there one time talking about she was going to be at the, I think, at the uh, high school gym in Garner, North Carolina. It must have been one of her last appearances. But anyway, she uh, uh, I wanted to be on the show uh, so she could tell everybody where she was going to be. It was like a free ad. Well, that's what that's what the, uh, the the in the old the old days. You know, everybody talks about the old days. In the old days of, of doing those radio shows, the local the local stations, like when the the Monroe Brothers or the Stanley Brothers were at WPTF, they would do something very early in the morning. Farmers get up. Farmers like to hear music and the car and the the crop report and and the weather. And then the these bands would go out and they would drive as far as they could to play a couple of a noontime show, an evening show. They'd drive back to Raleigh or wherever they were based, and then get up at five o'clock the next morning to be ready to go again. Well, I know I've told, told you the story that one of our ancient engineers told me that that uh, uh, Ted Atkins was here with a band. He was a member of a band. He played the fiddle in the band. He was young. And he played the fiddle, and it was one of those shows that came on like at 5.15, not like the Martha, Martha White Flower Power Hour or something like that, or or uh, the uh, Crazy Water Crystal show or something like that. But anyway, he would play his bit, and then he'd go over somewhere on Salisbury Street and eat breakfast, and he'd come back and, and practice his guitar all day, and obviously he got to be pretty good at it. So, yeah. Uh, uh, along the way, but that he did that. I think he was there, that particular group was at WPTF for about six months, and uh, he he got a lot of practice on his guitar in while he was while he was there. And you know, you and I have discovered that the Maynard brothers were uh, were uh, people who have been photographed with lots of fan mail and a WPTF microphone hanging down in the middle. And that's where Absolutely. we'll go back to it with your permission right after we take this break. musician extraordinaire and uh, guy we just like to talk to on the radio. In fact, Joe, I was trying to think of some way, but I mean, we don't necessarily have to have a way, but somebody, some night when we have a general conversation like this, I'd like to go back and talk about uh, the, the, the early folk music people, not necessarily the, the Southern, but they, they could be included, of course, but people like the Weavers. Oh, I, I, Tom, you know that uh, that I will come back anytime you have me. I, it's just a it's just a delight to to check in with you. You know, when I left the Department of Cultural Resources and then the symphony, I thought, well, Kearney's never going to need me to come back on. But we, it's just two old friends talking. And sometimes in in today's in today's fast paced world, sometimes it's nice to just have two old friends have a conversation. So, so you you decide when it would be good for you, and I'll I'll uh, I'll either call in or if we can get back to the studio, the, the days where we can get back to the studio, we'll come in. But I look forward to that a lot. Well, uh, you made a point. We've got about two minutes left here. Uh, something about uh, kind of a family thing at the at the beginning. You know how people would gather around radios and sit there and be brought together by listening to the Grand Ole Opry or the Western Barn Dance or whatever. And I still think I'm still one of those people who listens to WSM occasionally when I'm 
because of, of, of my affliction, because I broke my leg, I don't drive as much as I used to, but I would drive mm-hmm. home at night, and I would listen to WSM and Eddie Stubbs. You know who that is, I guess. I, yes, and he just and he just retired. I did not uh, know that. Yes, he, he retired at the end of July, um, and uh, going to be sorely missed. But it was uh, he had been he had been there about thirty years, and I think he I think he was ready to to find uh, to to not stay up quite that late. But he's he's great and an and an unbelievable musician as well. I didn't know about the musician part, but you know they tried to to. Uh, well, they did try to run him off. They almost did, but uh, the management of WSM uh, wanted him to play more contemporary records, and he just absolutely would not do it. And uh, he won the battle. Yeah. As you, you know, that's it. Well, you know, um, WSM has had a long history, and I was wondering if you, uh, as we as we end, if I could give old the solemn old judges uh, benediction, as it were, before before we ring off. Certainly, you may do that. In fact, why don't you? We've got about twenty-five seconds or thirty seconds, somewhere in there. Why don't you right. take it away, and and John can just leave, and you and I will talk later. Okay. All right, Tom. You take good care, and we'll talk soon. I'll call you in the next couple of days. Okay. So, if George D. Hay were here, he would say that's all for now, friends. The tall pines pine, and the pawpaws pause. The bumblebees bumble all day. The eavesdropper drops. And the grasshopper hops while gently the old cow slips away. Good evening, everybody.